Hello and welcome to another episode of the Victim Podcast. Today we have a special guest um, from Trial International and she would be introducing herself and we are going to have a conversation about universal jurisdiction and the service of Gambian survivors and victims. Our guest from Trial International, will, her conversation would centered around um, the importance of universal jurisdiction and how victims um, become plaintiffs on um, international jurisdiction cases. Welcome on the show. Uh, well, thank you so much, Aisha, for having me on your uh, podcast, The Victims Podcast. So I'm Baba Kamputu. I'm a legal advisor at Trial International. It's an NGO which is uh, based in Geneva and which was created 20 years ago to fight the impunity of international crimes with supporting victims and survivors of such crimes uh, in their quest for justice. Uh, so I work, uh, like in the specific team in which I work, there are two other legal advisors, in addition to the head of the program where I work, which is the International Investigation and Litigation Program, and there is also a program assistant. Uh, and we investigate on potential crimes uh, committed uh, that were committed, international crimes, so um, genocide, crimes against humanity, torture, enforced disappearance, war crimes. Uh, and we also, of course, reach out to victims that we can identify, and we find them lawyers uh, for their representation in criminal proceedings is, if this is what they want to obtain justice. And then uh, we, like, in parallel of all this um, uh, work, we build criminal cases with collecting and analyzing uh, evidence and with drafting criminal denunciation and uh, complaints before relevant authorities, uh, mostly in Switzerland, but also in France and in, and in Germany. How could we define the term victim? So... Um, to put it simply, a victim is someone who suffered a harm, a damage, uh, and in criminal matters, for instance, the massive human rights violations that were committed uh, under former Gambian president uh, Yaya Jame, such damage is the result of a criminal offense. Um, and then victims can suffer the damage directly, for instance, um, the survivor of uh, torture who will have suffered both bodily and mental harm as a result of their physical injuries and trauma. They can also suffer the, the damage indirectly. Uh, for instance, the spouse or uh, the children of a political opponent that was killed on behalf of the former president, they will suffer great mental harm as a result of this extrajudicial killing. Um, and also uh, potentially financial harm if this person was the main breadwinner of the family. So this is how you would easily define a victim. In this case, why aren't there more victims in the trial in Germany? More generally, it seems when looking at different trials and investigations in Europe and the USA on Gambia, that only some crimes are prosecuted. Why is that? You need to understand that a victim of a criminal offense is not necessarily a party to a criminal proceeding. It is, it is not necessarily a joint plaintiff. In other words, not all victims are joint plaintiffs, but all joint plaintiffs are victims. Um, 
Basically, the transformation, if I may say so, of a victim in a joint plaintiff is not automatic. Victims need to explain to the prosecutor why they would qualify as such in a criminal proceeding. Usually, this, this means that they have to file a criminal complaint with the assistance uh, of a lawyer. And also, depending on the criminal offense that is prosecuted, the suspect at stake Uh, they have to be uh, they have to be able to demonstrate that they suffered a damage as a result of the specific offense at stake uh, and alleged against the suspect. Maybe I could give the example of the ongoing trial in in Germany to make things like easier to understand. Uh, so, like the as you all know, there is a, a, cr a trial for crimes against humanity in Germany against Bayel, who is accused by uh, the German prosecutors of having been involved in three killing orators as former driver of the junglers. And in this specific trial, you have four victims that became joint plaintiffs. So three of them uh, are the sons of respectively for one of them, uh, the journalist Deida Haidara, who was assassinated in 2004. You have the two sons of a former uh, soldier Daudan Yassi, who was murdered in 2006 for being presumed a threat to Yaya Jameh. And the last plaintiff is a former uh, colleague of uh, Deida Haidaha, who was injured in his car uh, when he was murdered while driving her uh, home from work. So uh, these four victims joined the procedure at, at different times, uh, like one of them joined the procedure before the trial opened and the three others during the trial. And basically, you can see in the situations that I have just described why they have uh, an interest, if I may say so, uh, as victims in the, the, the case and why they were able to, uh, to, to join the case formally as joint plaintiffs. Uh, and they are also assisted by uh, German lawyers. And it is also like it requires uh, to find available lawyers in the country of prosecution. So here in Germany, with expertise in these complex international criminal cases, And so this is why it could happen in, in this case. Now, what is universal jurisdiction? Because time and time again, we hear um, the word universal jurisdiction. And to someone who might not be um, in, the, in the transitional justice scene, and especially some victims might not understand what really um, universal jurisdictions are. Okay, of course. Universal jurisdiction. So it's um, basically it's a legal principle that allows for the prosecution of crimes somewhere else than where they took place, regardless of the nationality of the perpetrators of victims. But it works for international crimes. So the most serious crimes, for example, crimes against humanity, um, war crimes, extrajudicial uh, killings and torture and things like that. Um, so this is why, for example, the two murders and the attempted murder uh, that are at stake in the trial in Germany Uh, they are prosecuted as crimes against humanity, not as independent criminal offenses of common law murders, uh, which makes it possible for these offenses to be prosecuted abroad. But it adds another layer for victims to be able to join the procedure. Okay, I see. And in the practice, how do we apply universal jurisdiction? In different countries where these international crimes can be prosecuted, what are the rules applicable in these countries? Yeah, so it's good because in your question, you're basically pointing out one of the difficulties to implement universal jurisdiction, precisely because there are different rules 
depending on the countries where the criminal proceeding takes place. If you take the example of uh, Switzerland, one of the conditions for the prosecution of international crimes in this country is that the suspect is simply on Swiss territory. But in France and in Germany, except for other um, international crimes such as torture and enforced uh, disappearance on the basis of specific international conventions that these two states uh, ratified, one of the conditions for uh, other international crimes is that the suspect resides in the country, which is a more demanding condition. And so, yes, this is just an example for you to see that the rules uh, for the application of universal jurisdiction are different depending on the country where the proceeding can take place, which makes you have to navigate through the different criminal procedure rules to see whether it's possible to have a, a, a prosecution. Okay, um, if we go back to the victims in such crimes, um, criminal proceedings, how do they become joint plaintiffs, so parties, parties to these proceedings? Because um, that is, this is very um, important because time and time again, um, victims do ask these questions. Um, why is my case not part of um, the proceedings? Why am I not being a plaintiff on this case? Um, even, even though um, my, my, my case, like the, the alleged perpetrator who is on this case had something to do with my case. I think this is something that we really need to clear um, to our listeners, especially victims that are listening to understand because they always ask these questions. And I think you working for Trial International and being on the case, you will be in a better position to explain to our listeners and to the victims why that. So um, there have been so many victims of, of uh, Yaya Jamez regimes. It's it's difficult for them to understand such situation, like why some victims are represented in trials and why others are not. So the thing is that depending on the criminal proceeding at stake and the trial, and more specifically the offense that are prosecuted in a specific case, it automatically reduces the number of uh, person who are able to ask for rejoining the proceeding as uh, victims. In the example I was taking earlier, the trial at stake is about three specific criminal offenses. So the murder of uh, the journalist Deida Idaha, the uh, attempted um, murder of lawyer Usman Sila, and the murder of uh, former soldier Daouda Nyasi. So it means that all other massive human rights violations that took place during Yahya Jamez uh, dictatorship are not part of this trial. So there are other ongoing procedural, like the one in Switzerland against the, the former uh, Minister of Interior, uh, Usman Sonko. Uh, but every time that there is a procedure, um, the victims that would have the right formally to join the case have to have a specific link to the specific criminal offenses uh, that are dealt with and addressed in the trial. So it reduces um, tremendously the the amount of, of victim uh, and people who could have interest in a specific case. So basically, like to join a criminal procedure, uh, victims usually need to file a complaint to the public prosecutor. Uh, in which they are going to explain the harm that they suffered, the damage that they suffered, and more specifically, why the damage that they suffered is a result of the criminal offense at stake in the case. Of course, like there are little uh, differences between the, the different uh, countries on the specific rules of how you file a complaint. And this is also why you need to be assisted and represented by a lawyer to do so. 
But that's basically the, the process, like filing a complaint to explain to the prosecutor uh, the harm you suffered as a result of the criminal offense. And then there is also an important timing element. You need to know when you can do this. Um, in Switzerland, for example, it's important to know that uh, you cannot become a joint plaintiff after the investigation was closed by the prosecutor. You need to do that before. If we take the example of the, the ongoing case against uh, former Minister of Interior Usman Sumko, there are 10 victims who joined the case as joint plaintiffs, and they were able to do so since the investigation opened in 2017 when he was arrested, an investigation that should come soon to an end. And it's different in other countries. Like there are countries where, like in the case in Germany, some of the victims joined the procedure as uh, joint plaintiffs after the trial opened. Back to international crime. Why are these more difficult to prosecute from local jurisdictions? Yeah, sure. So I think there are like political and technical uh, drawbacks so a lot of the times it's a matter of political will because you need to have states willing to allocate the financial and human resources to uh, specific uh, uh, units within uh, prosecution uh, to have um, magistrates and police officers that are specialized in international criminal law issues that are specific. So you need to have the, the political will to allocate the relevant financial and human resources to do so. You also have like technical hurdles because like international crimes are usually committed in complex political environments. And so it makes evidence more difficult to access because you basically have an investigation that takes place outside of the country where the criminal offense uh, took place. And so you also need to take into account that international crimes committed in, in connection with authoritarian regimes such as Jamez in the Gambia they leave entire populations in fear of retaliation for years. And it takes a certain time before uh, victims and witnesses come forward and, and testify about the crimes they survived or witnessed. And for obvious reasons, if uh, international crimes like war crimes took place during armed conflicts that are still ongoing, you do not have access to the ground uh, to, to investigate on these crimes. And since also these crimes are considered as affecting humanity as a whole, this is why they have such a specific statute. So basically there is not a limited amount of time during which they have to be prosecuted before it's too late for them to be prosecuted. We say time barred, which makes that, uh, you end up investigating on crimes that took place 10, 20, 30 more years ago. So, Witnesses who could have uh, testified on this crime, sometimes they already died. Sometimes their memory fade away also. So it's a, it's a human element that you have to take into account and that makes the prosecution and investigation on these crimes much more difficult. How does that impact victims of such crimes? Is there something that you've observed? Uh, you've mentioned universal jurisdiction earlier. It seems to be a powerful tool. But as a practitioner, do you see any drawbacks? I wanted to underline about the political will and like the political element in the implementation of universal jurisdiction is that you also need to have like a strong political will and cooperation between the state that is prosecuting and investigating on the crime and the state where the crime took place. 
to go back to the example of um, victims who are not able to uh, travel to testify during the investigation or the trial, even though like uh, Trial International, our job is also like to help the victims traveling and do such things. Uh, but sometimes during the investigation, it's important to hear the wit- witnesses and victims. Um, and uh, you need to have the cooperation of the state where the witness or the victims uh, are to make sure that they can be heard um, like on the ground and that there is a cooperation. Like we talk about mutual legal assistance for their um, witness statements and statements are as victims are taking into account uh, in the criminal proceeding uh, as it is uh, taking place in uh, the state where universal jurisdiction is implemented. And that is also an important element if you don't have like uh, sufficient responsiveness between the two states. And it's not the implementation of universal jurisdiction also politically sensitive. Um, indeed, that was my other point that I will, that I wanted to raise because most of the time there is um, sensitivity when it comes to the politics and I think it's important that you make that clear to our listeners that are listening to the show. Yes, well, this is, yeah, this is a particularly interesting question because like we as Trial International and NGO supporting victims, we have like uh, very limited to non-leverage in, in these type of relationships, which are based on mutual legal assistance. So uh, what we can do is like, like we're, of course, in regular touch with the lawyers uh, representing the victims and asking them uh, whether like the mutual legal assistance process is, is going well, uh, if there is responsiveness. Um, and so basically they know that with being like these lawyers that are in touch with the prosecutors, who are in charge of making like these legal assistance requests and of uh, receiving uh, answers, and they are uh, the lawyers are informed by the prosecutor of the answer of uh, of the relevant authority uh, abroad. But it's a it's a process that is even for us very difficult to follow because we don't really have like the leverage to push uh, and make sure that, for example, a victim or a, a witness is heard on the ground. Uh, so we try to, uh, what we do is like we keep in touch with the victims, the lawyers, we have information uh, on the process uh, this way, uh, but it's it's difficult uh, for us. And then we inform the victim, but when it, when it seems to be stalled, like these are the moments where we don't really know like how we can push forward, but we make sure that we're at least informed of the fact that it's stalled. Uh, and we and and yeah and hopefully that things go forward in a way or another. But it's a um, political cooperation. So and finally, any words of hope of um, for victims of international crimes? Um, what would you tell them? If what would you tell victims that are listening that have one way or the other been part of these crimes that are happening, these jurisdictions that are currently ongoing in other countries around the world? And also, what would be your final word, especially for victims um, in Gambia? Um, first, uh, I would commend them for their courage because um, because they know it's a very long-lasting process that are that they are engaging in when they decide to 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 join a case as as a formal victim, uh, and also because. Um, 
nothing is 100% certain, like you're not sure that there will be an investigation, that the, that the investigation will lead to an indictment, that uh, if there is a trial, there will be a conviction. So this is what you're saying, is that the time of justice is not always the time of human beings. So it requires a lot of uh, patience and perseverance. Um, and at the same time, uh, the simple effect of being part of such a, a proceeding is already like changing history and, and making uh, voices heard. And not only for the specific joint plaintiff or specific victim in a specific um, case, but also for all victims of the same contexts and, and, and types of crimes that were committed during a whole time. So um, keep going and um, and just keep in mind that what is being done in a specific case is not, is done for uh, many more victims and um, it's not lost. Nothing is lost and, and, and justice is, is a very long path. And it's and it's draining and frustrating, but it's um, it's a courageous path, and it's and it's in the right direction for many people and many voices to be heard. This interview was conducted before the indictment of Osman Sonko in Switzerland, which occurred on the 17th of April, 2023. Thank you very much uh, for joining the show. Thank you so much, Aisha, for having me and for having uh, Trial International on this podcast. And also thank you so much for your work on, on the Victims podcast, uh, making sure that all the voices are heard. And, and yes, this is really great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much uh, for joining the show. Um, with me in the studio, it's um, a special guest from Trial International, Ababaka, um, who was um, talking about universal jurisdiction. And I'm your host, Aisha Dujame, on the Victim Podcast. Until we come your way um, next time on another day with a different topic, you could always follow our podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Bossprow, on Twitter and Facebook. And also we have an Instagram account. You could always follow the episodes that we have for you. Thank you again and bye for now and have a good day. Bye.